Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program. We appreciate you joining us. Tonight is share number 108. Coach Menachem and the Let's Get Real team. And we thank you for coming here every Sunday night to spend our time to grow together. We start off every week first thanking all the, all the people that come every week. And the reason why there's such a big talk about it is because people um, tell people about it and they, po- they post on their WhatsApp statuses and they, they tell their families, they email it around. And it's, uh, it's really exploding again. It's 100 inch year, and it's a lot. And uh, I want to thank everybody for, for promoting it and telling people about it. And uh, again, it's a We're here to grow together. And uh, we have a big lineup. We have a lot of things coming. We'll talk about it a little bit soon. But uh, to get into it, again, if anybody wants to get the flyers every Sunday, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. Um, and every Sunday, I would send you the flyer. If you want to go to benachemberfeld.com, you can go to his website and sign up to his email. You get the, his weekly emails of the flyers, the recaps, and all the hack that's going on in Let's Get Real, which is Muridik. Uh, all those people that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, please click on the like button and the subscribe button. So when Menachem uploads the video Monday, 2.32 a.m., um, you get a ding and you get to see it and uh, we all get to grow together. Um, like I always tell people every week, not every program is for every single person, but there's, it's, you know, a lot of program, a lot of programs are relevant to other people. You might not even know that it's relevant to, so it's, it's important to let people know about it and you never know you could actually help somebody without even knowing it. So, um, I can tell you a lot of stories, but we don't have all night. I want to first start off thanking with, uh, all the advertising sponsors that promote us. Uh, the first sponsor, the first is Lakewood Scoop over here in Lakewood for promoting us here in Lakewood. Rabbi Yaniv Chazak for promoting us on the Chazak channels. Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central for promoting us on the on the Five Central Town. And especially thank you Kyla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN for promoting us on all the digital platforms. The Coach Renachman Show is collaborating with OK Clarity for greater health as well as the Jewish community. Um, to join their WhatsApp, it's 917-426-1495. And again, it's a platform that people are looking for mental health support, um, therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums to stay inspired. Benacham will email the links after the show for the people that are signed up to get all the information. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, um, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern time, on this Zoom ID, 645-572-066, we have different shirim, different topics, different rabbis, different therapists, and um, it's really, really amazing. So um, please join us. We were supposed to have next Sunday uh, share with Rebbe Bradowitz. It got pushed off to ju- ju- July 31st. Rebbe Bradowitz from Arsameh will be coming on live from Yisrael. Next week, July 10th, we're going to have an amazing share. And we're going to keep it a surprise from everybody because we're not going to tell them what it is. Right, Rebbe Fried? The surprise is so big that even I don't know what the surprise is. So <laughs> no, we're just, I don't want to announce it because it's not confirmed. But that's to be an amazing share. Please join us. I usually like to say what the topic is, who the speaker is, but until I confirm everything 100%, I'm not going to do that. But Metchem, the week afterwards, is Shavos Thomas. And then it's July 24th. We're going to have a share with uh, Chai Lifeline, Rabbi Simchaskala, CEO, and Rabbi Shuli Fried. And July 31st is going to be Rabbi Breidowitz from Eretz Yisrael from Arsameh. Tonight, we have the schus and the honor of having with us Rabbi Yosef Shapiro, live from Georgia, not Georgia, Russia, we're talking about Georgia, United States, 
Um, he wrote a, a book that's going around, people talking about it. Um, you know, it's a book based on his experience and infertility. It's called In It Together. And um, it should be tonight an amazing event. It's not just for infertility, for people that are tuning in, but that's the, it's really for chizik and growth. That's why the title had everything in there, right? Support, chizik, growth, anything and everything. So tonight, every, it, should, it should be a chizik for everybody. And uh, I know Rabbi Shapiro helps a lot of people and people reach out to him and Hashem will, will give us contact information. If anybody does need his help, please reach out to him. He's here to help people. Tonight's shear is Gematria 108. So the Gematria 108 is Chaz Hashem. So Hashem, so tonight's shear, we'll appreciate the Chaz Hashem. And we have to tap into it. I appreciate everything. So Chaz Hashem is 108. And we're going to start off first with our host, Coach Menachem Berfold Shlita, Menachem Rabbein Rabbein on the, the, the day after the Rebbe's yard site, to open up with some words of the Vichizik, and why are we here tonight? Thank you, thank you very much. Okay, welcome everyone to share number 108, Baruch Hashem, with Lara Siyat Bishmaya. And like I always like to welcome um, and thank all of those that send in their feedback. And this week, Baruch Hashem, we got a lot of feedback from last week's um, share and I do want to thank you. I think we should, we have to make like one share just to share with everybody else to see what it looks like after a share. The feedback, positive and negative, the spectrum is huge and it's amazing to see how everybody takes it the way, the way they see it. And, um, and I do want to thank you, whatever it is, the positive feedback and the negative feedback. And I've read the emails and a lot. A lot of it came in, a lot to digest. And obviously, like I mentioned last week, last week was, it was a sensitive topic. It wasn't easy to understand. And um, obviously we needed some more open communication. And if only you can get to ask the speaker what he means, you know, we try, that's what we try to do over here. We bring on the speaker. And if you have any questions, we need some open communication. If you don't understand, just come on and say, I didn't understand. What do you mean by that? I, I always thought different. So we can discuss it. And uh, tonight also, tonight, we have this first to have Rabbi Shapiro with us. He has uh, a story to tell, which is, which is amazing, the growth. And it is a sensitive topic. Uh, many people, they need it or, or relatives, people that, um, have some, some shaykhs to these people, how to deal with them, to understand, yes, to talk, not to talk, how to say it. It's, it's not easy. And uh, that's what we try to do over here. We try to bring on topics that most of the time we don't hear about it. And it's just sometimes awkward. And you continue life hoping for who knows what. But it's, it's hard, even though you're not going through the situation, but if a relative of somebody, how to discuss it, which we'll hear tonight. And for those who are struggling, and not only uh, the struggle of infertility, any struggle that a person goes through in life, we can, we'll be able to learn tonight of, to understand how. It's, it's, it's not easy. Sometimes people could feel that they are the only one in the world that are going through this struggle. Whatever struggle it is, it can be a health or, or shown bias or whatever the situation it is that you feel there is no one to talk to, no one understands me. And you're sitting in your house all by yourself and nowhere to go. And one of the things that we do over here Sunday nights is to open up a little bit of fresh air, 
to understand there are others out there. Um, there, there are ways, there are things that we have to, you know, just awareness, understand yourself to understand that there are others to see what can be done. And that itself makes things a little bit easier just to talk to somebody, to have a friend, to, to, to the fresh air. And that's what everybody needs. Whatever, any struggle that you're going through, whatever it is, the first thing is to have a place where you can sit down, take off your jacket and say, this is what I'm going through. And this is very, very hard. If you have a place to say that, to talk about it, that itself can make it so much easier. And then other people could guide you or maybe just listen even if there's no ideas. So tonight we have this first to have with us our Shapiro and Mitzvah Shem. If you, hopefully you'll feel comfortable to ask the questions. You can change your name. You can ask for a neighbor. Just to, just to bring it on the table. And I believe Rabbi Shapiro is ready to talk about anything and everything. Not that he has all the answers, but <laughs> we can talk about it. So Mitzvah Shem with a lot of siyata deshmaya. Thank you very much. Coach Menachem, beautiful opening. So before we get into it again, tonight's share is titled, for everybody who's just joining, In It Together, it's the name of his book. It's Growth Through Challenge. The topic is infertility, suffering, challenge, hope, encouragement, support. So basically uh, relevant to every single person probably on planet Earth. So um, that's why we're here tonight. Tonight we're going to learn to share is chus from my father-in-law, Tovia ben Baruch Yosef, and my wife's grandmother. So you are tonight, Leah Bas Moshe. So this was from the Shir of the hundreds of people that are here tonight, and the thousands of people that are here this afterwards. We're supposed to be in Shamas. Um, I just wanted to read one thing, Rabbi Schaefer, who is a, a big uh, part of our Shir. Um, just uh, he wants to give out a book tonight for people that ask questions. We did this two weeks ago. Um, and uh, Rabbi Tzion Schaefer is the founder of the Shmooz, author of the best-selling marriage book, 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. And a trusted marriage counselor discovered that rocky marriage can turn into a round with small shifts in understanding behavior. He now brings these simple techniques to three live locations. You ready? He did on tour anytime. You already had one of them. There's two more. The three-part series was on June 29th. The next one at 8.30. And, oh, that was already, right? And the next one is Wednesday, July 6th, which is in two days, and July 13th. And it's essential for anyone looking to enhance their marriage to bring the joy to their home. You can go to theshmooz.com or you can watch it on uh, Torah anytime. It's shown this Wednesday and then the following Wednesday. And uh, anybody who asks a lot of questions tonight, you can just email Coach Menachem at Gmail and he will mail you a free book. So again, you're just asking for your neighbors. It's fine, but you're getting a free book. You got to ask questions. So um, please feel comfortable and free to. I'm going to read Rabbi Yosef Shapiro's bio. And before I read Rabbi Shapiro's bio, I'm going to give everybody the background. You ready? Everybody wants to know, who is Rabbi Yosef Shapiro? I said, I have no idea who he is. So how do I get to him? So one of our speakers wanted to share. And I saw on his status, he posted that he's speaking in the shul. Rabbi Yom Weinrib um, posted on a status. And then I spoke to people that went. They said, he's such an unbelievable speaker. You have to have him. So I reached out to him. And then I started seeing him on speaking all over the place. He's young. He's new. He's upcoming. And um, he has a lot to give over. So I, he wanted to tell me a little bit about what he speaks about, the story. I said, no. I'm going to learn everything tonight, just like everybody else here. So I have no inside scoop. We're all, we're all in it together, right? We're in it together. So Rabbi Yosef Shapiro grew up in Baltimore and learned in different yeshivas while also completing his MBA in investment banking. He received smicha from Jerusalem Coil under the leadership of Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz. Now that I read that, I'm just going to give a little, little note that we're working on Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz to come on one Sunday night, just letting you know. 
So your Rebbe might be here. So just letting you know. And now the senior rabbi of the Brookhaven Coil here of average community and him and his wife, rookie started from scratch and now serves hundreds of young Jews. He recently published a book about fertility and challenge titled In It Together and spends a lot of time of free time helping couples struggling with fertility around the globe. So Yosef, floor is yours. Thank you so much. As uh, Prabhasher mentioned that Baruch Hashem recently, I've been speaking in many places, but I have to admit that there's no flyer that I posted that got as many comments from people as this flyer. As soon as I posted going to Coach Menachem, I got comments from friends from all over the world. Literally, probably 40 or 50 people reached out to me. Wow, I can't believe you're on this show. So it's really humbling to be here. And obviously, Coach Menachem and Rabashri obviously are doing an incredible work, inspiring people and really helping at a very large scale. So I want to begin by sharing the story that my wife and I went through. But before I do that, I want to acknowledge that during the story that we went through, you're going to hear some moments of hope and some moments of disappointment. But in addition to the storyline that my wife and I went through, I also help couples from around the world. And I acknowledge very clearly that not every story ends with a message of hope. And it's important to recognize that this story is different. And those who go through this challenge and don't have those moments of hope is truly an unimaginable thing and really is not comparable to the story you're going to hear. So the story my wife and I went on is interesting because we actually had our first child pretty much a year after we got married. And we were living in Yerushalayim at the time. I was doing smicha under a Yitzhak Berkowitz Shlita, who, yes, I hope to, to hear him one day on this show. And after having our first child, a few months later, we realized that things were not going to go as smooth thereon. And we found ourselves at a point which many people find themselves in life. In fact, probably everyone does at some point because we all start our life and we have these dreams, these ideals, these views of what our life's going to look like. We're going to get married at such an age and we're going to, of course, get married to the most perfect person. And we're going to have children when we want to and financial security and the perfect community. And of course, all of our children are going to turn out exactly the way we want them to. But at a certain point in our life, we realized that that's not how Hashem runs the world. Because if we never had an opportunity to be challenged and acknowledge things that are not going the way we want, then our lives would be very stagnant. And you'll hear through some of the lessons we'll talk about later that going through a challenge really opens up our eyes in ways that we don't have that vision when we're not challenged. So we found ourselves at that point, we already had a child. We assumed, of course, everything's going to continue going smoothly, but then it wasn't. And we found ourselves completely stuck. How could it be? Everything else is moving along for everyone else. And here we are totally stuck. And we're watching everyone else continue building their families while we are totally stuck. And I went to meet with my Rebbe, or Yitzhak Berkowitz, and I asked them, what should we do? It's been a few months. And the medical guidance says that since we already had a child, we should seek medical help. Should we do that or not? And he told us to follow whatever the medical guidance was. So we went in Yerushalayim, we met with a facility there, and we began our journey over there. And one of the complicated aspects of going through medical treatments in Eretz Yisrael is that it's a socialized healthcare system, which means on the one hand, we didn't have to pay a penny. You'll hear that drastically change when we moved to America. But on the other hand, when the government is paying for your treatments, they're going to drag their feet. 
and they don't want to be paying for you to go through expensive, invasive processes. So we found ourselves incredibly frustrated month after month after month with minimal dosage of medication and really feeling like we weren't doing anything to help our situation and bring another child into the world. And that's where we still were about a year after that. We had gone through treatment for about a year in Israel and we still had nothing to show. And at that point, we were moving back to America. I had just accepted a job with the Atlanta Colel to start a hero community for them in Brookhaven, Georgia. And we knew that now we were gonna be paying for our treatments. And for anyone who's unaware, when a person goes through infertility treatment, the costs are astronomical and there's almost no insurance coverage, depending on where you live, depending on, on who you work for. But the default is that you're gonna be paying out of pocket sometimes 50, 100, 200, $300,000, sometimes more. And when you know that you're about to embark on a journey that has such significant financial repercussions, you wanna be sure that you're in the right hands. So we knew in Atlanta, there were several medical clinics to pick from. So I met with one of the, the local Rav in Atlanta, Rabbi Elon Feldman, and I asked him, I said, which clinic should we go to? Where do the from people go? And there were two names that came up. One was a doctor, Danny Shapiro, interestingly enough, same spelling as my last name, different pronunciation. And he was at a clinic called RBA. And then the other doctor was a doctor, Mark Perlow, who was at Shady Grove, Atlanta. Shady Grove is the largest umbrella of infertility clinics. So many of you, if you're aware of infertility clinics, likely you've heard of Shady Grove. And these were the two clinics, but Dr. Danny Shapiro came the highest recommended. So I call up their clinic, this is in August of 2016. And I say, listen, I have two questions for you. Number one, when is your next appointment? And number two, can your doctor give me a call? I'd like to share with him a little bit about what we've gone through, what our prognosis is, what he expects of us in the future. And the secretary says our next appointment's available in March. So that's seven months out. And not only, and I'm sorry, it's more than seven months out. And in addition to that, our doctors don't call clients back. Our doctors don't call anyone. You wait till you come to the appointments, then you can talk to the doctor. I said, okay, what am I supposed to do? I, I haven't done this yet in America. Maybe that's the norm. So I made the appointment for March, and then I called the other clinic. I called Shady Grove and had a very different experience. The secretary says we have an appointment next week, and the doctor will call you later today. So I wait patiently, and the doctor calls me later that day. Hey, it's Dr. Mark Perlow. I heard you requested a call. And I said, yeah, and we discussed what we're going through. And then I ask him, I say it towards the end, I say, doctor, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. I said, I know that when you go through IVF, for any listeners who are unaware, the doctors very often can put in multiple embryos during that process, which means that you can create higher odds of having twins or triplets, or at least at a minimum that maybe one of the two or three will lead to a healthy child. So I said to this doctor that I know that many people are nervous to have multiples. It's a scary thing. There's a lot of risks involved for the mother carrying multiple, um, multiple fetuses. And it's a scary thing, but we specifically would like to have multiples. Would you help us with that? And he says to me, how old's your wife? And I said at the time, she's 24. And he starts to laugh. And I'm wondering like, what's, what's going on over here? And he says, you think you're having twins with me while your wife's in her twenties? If you wanna have twins, find another clinic. So here I am, just moved to Atlanta. One doctor is not available for eight months and I can't speak to him. The other doctor refuses to put in multiples. 
So I called Rav Berkowitz and I said, what do I do? And he said, obviously very wisely, you, can, you may as well stick with this current doctor. If you become pregnant with one, you're not gonna be upset. And if you're still not pregnant in eight months, you can always switch over. So that's what we did. So we started our journey the next week and we began this journey. And obviously this journey was filled with incredibly emotional experiences. The, when a person, if anyone has ever seen a documentary of how a natural pregnancy occurs, the amount of steps that have to occur at the exact moments in time, one after the next, after the next, for hundreds of steps just to get a pregnancy, and then to continue that for nine months and have a live birth is incredibly sophisticated. It's actually one of the greatest proofs that there must be a burial, there must be Hashem who created the world because it is so incredibly sophisticated. And yet so many of us, myself many years ago included, we take it for granted because it happens for so many people naturally. But when the doctor has to go through the process of IVF for their patients or any other form of treatment for infertility, they have to try to mimic every one of those steps at the exact same times. So what ends up happening is you could have everything going well, step 10, step 20, step 30, it's amazing, we're gonna be parents. And then step 75 doesn't work and there's no baby. So it's a constant emotional roller coaster. There are times the opposite, you think it failed and suddenly, oh, actually there may still be hope this month. So it's an incredibly complex roller coaster that we found ourselves on for several years at this point until we even got to the point of doing IVF. See, many people think, oh, you're starting IVF. Great, you'll probably be pregnant soon. It doesn't work like that. There are months and months and months and months of testing and planning and preparing and getting ready. And finally, a few years into this, we were finally ready to, to do the um, retrieval, which is the first step. So that's where a woman goes through incredible, incredible amounts of hormone medication to try to stimulate the body to produce many, many eggs. The woman then has to go under surgery to retrieve those eggs. They're mixed with what they need from the man. They create a healthy embryo, hopefully, and then they can hopefully transfer that back into the woman and get a pregnancy. So a few years after this, we finally were at this point. And again, we had the embryos and we said to the doctor, okay, can you please consider putting in more than one? By now, it's already been a few more years. And he says, there's no way you're not having twins with me. And he puts in one embryo and we wait. So after the embryo puts in, there is put in, there's a two-week wait while there's nothing you can do. Until that point, you are on a complete roller coaster, emotionally, financially, many, many levels. It's, it's one of the, there's an incredible aspect of feeling so alone, even though it's so common. So many people aren't aware, but one out of every six or seven couples are going through this, which means that if you're in a relatively small shul, 50 families, chances are at least seven of them are going through the same thing. And yet, when we're going through it, we feel so alone. In fact, at one point in our journey, we were, um, I was trying to get a group of friends, a small group, maybe six or seven friends, to, to try to take something on as a group on behalf of each other. And one of these people reached out to me and they said, yeah, they're interested. And then I said, okay, is there anyone that you know in your community who would be interested in joining? And they said, no, there's actually, I don't think there's anyone that I know going through this. And the crazy thing is that someone else in this person's building was another person I had messaged, which meant that literally every day 
they would interact, they would see each other, and I know they knew each other. And yet he didn't even notice because it's such an overwhelming process to go through. So we finally were at this point and the doctor says, no, putting in one. And now we have this two week wait. We wait two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, of course, the day of the pregnancy test arrives and it is the day after Sukkot. So me being on a COLAL schedule, it's a day off, which is not something I recommend on the day of, of the waiting several hours to get the results. And I just sat there and I waited hour after hour after hour after hour. And finally, my wife calls and she says, the nurse got back to us, we're not pregnant. And if you can imagine for a minute what, what it is when a person has spent tens of thousands of dollars, years of going through treatment, all of this emotional pain and watching your siblings, your friends, everyone else, another baby and another baby and another baby. And to see that that hope that you had is crashing down is an incredibly difficult thing. And I, and I want to real acknowledge that we already had a child. You can imagine someone who doesn't even have a child that has this experience. They go through all of this and they get the news from the doctor, you're not pregnant. It's crushing. And the doctor, the only free appointment that the clinic we were at gave was the consolation appointment. So if you went through a IVF cycle and the transfer did not work out, so then you got one free consult with the doctor to figure out what to do for the next time. So I go sit down with the doctor and I, we're discussing it. And I say, what, what happened? What are we going to do differently next time? He said, no, you don't have to worry. You're young. It's, it'll work out. No problem. I said, what do you mean? Aren't we going to do something different? He said, no, don't worry. It's going to work out. So we prepare for the next cycle. Of course, it takes months again to get ready for that. And finally, the doctor puts in again, insisting he's only putting in one embryo. Puts in one embryo, and again, we have our infamous two-week wait. And at the end of the two-week wait, my wife gets a call, and the nurse says, you're pregnant. Now, at this point, though, we are far from happy or showing any emotion, because anyone who's been through any form of infertility, pregnancy loss, anything like that, you know that you have so many levels of defense mechanisms up. You're so cautious against getting excited because of course it's not going to work out. Something's going to go wrong and then that's going to happen. It'll be a miscarriage again. So we were in complete limbo now for about four weeks. And the way our clinic worked is that you stayed with them until six weeks. At six weeks, they do an ultrasound to verify a heartbeat. If there's a heartbeat, they then hand you off to the OB. So we waited these four weeks, complete limbo, not sure if we're excited, not excited, happy, unhappy. And finally the day comes. So I don't remember why, but I ended up not going to the appointment with my wife. So she goes to the appointment and I went to, to the COLA to morning Seder. And the Atlanta COLA, they claim it's not on purpose, but there is no cell service in the COLA based matters. And in order to get service, you actually have to walk. It's a big campus. Anyone's been to, to Beth Jacob in Toco Hills in Atlanta. Generally, there's Wi-Fi in the base matter. So if a wife needs you, they can message you or WhatsApp you. Hey, can you call me? You go walk two, three minutes to the street, and then you can call from there. So I told my wife beforehand, I said, I don't want you telling me to call. Whatever it is, just text me. I'm sure it's, there's no heartbeat. I'm sure it's not going to work out. Just text me, but I don't want you to tell me to call you because I don't want to have to walk to the street in the middle of the community so that you can tell me there's no heartbeats that I can collapse crying in front of the whole community. So I go to Seder and sure enough, 30 minutes later, I get a text from my wife, Yosef, you need to call me. 
And I wrote back, I said, there is no way I'm calling you. I'm not leaving the seat. I'm not going out. I can't do this. Just text me. I'm sure there's no heartbeat. And I'll never forget, she texted me back a picture that said baby A and baby B. And what had happened was, although the doctor had insisted that we are not having twins, the doctor put in one embryo and that embryo split. And we ended up having identical twin boys. And the story hit us so powerfully because so often when we struggle, any struggle we have, we feel so limited by what we're told. A doctor says a person has this amount of time left or this is the only thing that's gonna work. A friend tells us this is the only way it'll succeed. And we're so boxed in and limited and we forget that Hashem is so much bigger than that. And it doesn't matter if a doctor says you're only having one, I'm only putting in one embryo. If Hashem wants you to have twins, no big deal, it'll split. And it's such a powerful lesson and it's really what motivated me to write the book that I ended up writing, which is called In It Together. If anyone has not seen it, this is what the book is. So that, that is the story that motivated me to write the book. And I hope that that, as well as many, many years now of helping other people from around the world who reach out, I hope that that will help people have solace in hearing about experiences of other people. Beautiful opening. Thank you for sharing the story and being so vulnerable. I'm going to read a text that somebody wrote, um, and then we're going to do a poll. So you can take a little break, Rabbi Shapiro, for a minute, take a drink, and um, we're going to get into the questions. Somebody, thank you so much for your classes. Such a this topic this week of I, is IVF. We just found that in order for us to ensure we have healthy kids, we need to do IVF. Thank you so much for your weekly classes. Much broken on Slava to you. Okay. Thank you. Um, we're going to take a poll, and um, there's a lot of questions that came in. And again, I said, if anybody asks a live question, we're giving you a free book. Just email coachmanatham at gmail afterwards for the book. If anybody wants to ask a lot of questions, please text um, Usher Partners over here on the chat on Zoom. Again, if you want to just ask questions, you, you could text it. And, you know, if you don't want to ask, but, you know, asking first, asking live goes first. And you get a book. So let's start with the poll and let's get into it. Hold on one second. Hmm? Okay, here we go. This is the poll. Two questions. Based on your knowledge, who do you think is more prone to infertility issues? Men, woman, equal, men and women, 50-50. Based on your knowledge, just a guess. You know, if anybody who is a doctor in the reproductive field, don't answer the question because it's not fear. But if everybody else answers the question. Everybody uh, sees the poll? What? I don't see the poll. I'm just wondering if everybody else sees it. Everybody else sees it, yeah. I do see it. Yeah, very good. Um, move it down. When, when, okay, now this is a general question, okay? When going through a difficult situation, whatever the situation is, financial, from bias, whatever it is, what keeps you going and gives you the chizik you need? Four options. And again, this is your personal experience. You probably could be more than one of them, but you can only answer one. Family and friends. Emunah and Hashem. I realize that other people have it worse than me. Like you realize that, okay, I have a problem, but there are people that have, are going through things worse than me. Or the fourth option, sharing with others my situation. So, mm -hmm. that's not English. Okay, sharing your problems with other people for physic, right? So, that's so funny. Okay, so that is the two polls. Please answer them. We're going to give you five seconds. Second. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, let's end it and then share.
Okay, we're going to share with everybody. Here we go. Based on your knowledge, who do you think is more prone to infertility issues? 12% of people think men. 42% of people think women. And 47% of people think it's equal men and women. So for people that said equal, and people said women, and then very few people said just men. Rabbi Yosef, uh, what's your opinion on the poll? Yeah, so first of all, you have a pretty knowledgeable group. I wouldn't have expected majority to get it right. The correct answer is that it is equal. Uh, while many people assume that women are more likely the reason why someone has to go through treatment, it's almost exactly split 50-50. Almost exactly split that a man has an issue or a woman has an issue. Both members of the couple are so crucial to bringing children into the world. And it's no, not even, I don't think it's even slightly more for women than men. Okay, now the second question. When going through a difficult situation in life, what keeps you going and gives you the chizik? 19% of people say family and friends. The winning answer, everybody says, Amuna and Hashem, 50% of the people. Such a lovely people, I wish I could answer that. 11% of the people say, I realize other people have it worse than me. And 20% of the people say, sharing with others my situation to be able to express it. Rabbi what's your comment on that, Paul? So I definitely don't have an, a, a one answer that's best. I think that the one thing that is crucial, though, is for each person to know which one it is for them, and just as important, to know which one is the answer for their spouse. Because so often, in fact, I don't think I've ever had a couple contact me for anything related to infertility, where both members of the couple were on the exact same page with how they wanted to go through processing their struggle. And so often we as individuals assume that if I feel this is the most beneficial thing, then of course my spouse also finds that's the most beneficial thing. And very often it's not the case. And it ends up causing a tremendous amount of friction within the relationship because that is actually not what your spouse is looking forward to finding for them to continue going. So there's no right answer. Um, I will share though, um, I don't know if I should share now or later, a study that has to do with sharing with others. There's definitely benefit to that. And we'll probably talk about all four of these ideas at some point during the show. But I think the most important thing is to know what is best for you, what is best for your spouse, and make sure that you're both aware of that so you can both be the most supportive spouses as possible. Because this journey is not a journey you go on alone, even following up from the first poll, even if one of the members has the issue that's specifically leading to the treatment, this is not a journey that that person is going on. That's a journey that the two of you are going on and the treatment is merely addressing that issue. So it's crucial to know what both members of the couple need to move forward with any struggle that they have. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so all the live questions, you have one already? Okay, we have a few live, but while we're working out the technicals, let's start with probably a very basic question, not a basic, but probably a very standard question in this field, and then we'll uh, jump into the live questions. We have been married for eight years and have IVF complications. I try to keep strong and have my hopes up, but my spouse is totally shattered and shut down. How do I deal with that? So not only I have to deal with my issue, but I also have to deal with my shattered spouse. Yeah, that's, that's a very important question. Obviously, it's a very painful thing to deal with. There was a, a very famous study that was done in Denmark where they took 50,000 couples that were going through infertility and they tracked them from the beginning of their journey 
along their journey until the end of their journey, whatever that meant, child, no child, adoption, whatever the end of their journey was. And they had two incredibly important findings. The first finding was that majority of the couples were no longer couples at the end. The majority of couples, the struggle they went through completely tore them apart. They were no longer a couple. But the other thing they found, which I think is more important for us, is that of the couples that remained together, almost every single one of them said that the level their marriage got to could never have gotten to without that struggle. And what they found as a conclusion from this, from this study is that when we go through any difficulty as a married couple, regardless of what it is, we often forget about how much of an impact it has on our relationship. But that being said, it also is an incredible opportunity because when two people go through a struggle and they are able to move forward, it shows them that they have the strength to do something together that many people may not have. And going through that together and seeing that myself with you, we are able to get through something difficult takes a marriage to a level that's incredibly elevated. So what I would tell this couple, obviously if they very often a couple does need professional help and that's not to be underestimated, but it's also important to figure out what your spouse would like to hear. What would be helpful for them? Is there something you're doing that is uncomfortable? Is there something you can do differently? Because very often we just assume and project what we think our spouse wants to hear. And very often with a simple conversation, we can realize that there's ways that we can go through something, even though we go through it very differently. I hope that helps. <clears throat> That's okay. Let's start with the first live question. Again, anybody's asking a live question, we're gonna send you a book, email us afterwards. You're on first, go. Hi, um, how do you build a MUNA in tests? Excellent question. Um, question for the, the panel, for Vashra and Coach Menachem. Should, do we share things earlier now to answer live questions or should we wait till later? I think you should do whatever your heart tells you. Okay. Okay, so I'll share one idea. There's, there were many different ideas that I were shared. Second, I one We're not talking about in general, people going through tests in life, which we all go through tests, right? How do we, let's globalize it, right? How do yeah, we 100%. to really get there? And obviously you went through tests and obviously you're talking from that point. So for everybody here, and I'm sure, you know, a big percentage of people could take a poll. How many people are going through, are going through a test now? <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be a hundred percent. So with that, how do we get through that? Yes, definitely. So there, there are many different things that we were told, that we looked at, that helped us in our specific goal. I'm sorry, in our specific struggle to be able to get through it. But there, there are several that were particularly powerful for us. So one of the, the ideas was, we heard an idea once, that we all have experienced backseat drivers. We know, oh, you're turning too fast, too slow, you're doing this, why don't you do that? And yet it's almost unheard of that we see a backseat pilot. I actually, a true story, I was in an, an out-of-town community a few weeks ago and someone said, oh, what do you mean? I, I, can, I can tell a pilot how to fly. So, but for most of us, we're not gonna be a backseat pilot because we realize that we have no idea what to tell the pilot to do. Because when we're in a car, so I know how to drive a car. So if you're doing something that I consider different than what I want, 
So I'm going to tell you what to do because I know what to do. But when I'm in the back of a plane and there's turbulence, I can't go to the pilot and tell them what to do. I have no idea how to do that. And similarly, the idea we heard that we found very powerful is that when Hashem is running the world, we like to look at it that Hashem is driving a car and we're in the back. So we say, oh, I know what's best for my life. Why do I have that struggle? That's not good for me. Why are you doing that for me, Hashem? But the reality is that we're supposed to recognize that Hashem is like the pilot flying us on his plane. And when we go through turbulence, the same way that when we're on a plane, we know that that's part of getting us to our destination and going to the pilot and saying, why don't you do X, Y, or Z is not going to make any difference. It's part of getting us on the way to our destination. Similarly, we're supposed to view that as the way Hashem runs the world, that we are going to have turbulence. There's going to be things that are going to come up, but we have to recognize that Hashem is running the world and that we are merely going through turbulence as a way to get to our destination. So instead of deciding what's best for us, we have to sort of let go. It's not easy. This is not, I'm not saying that the day we started this process, we just said, oh, this is so great. Hashem is helping us get on our, our journey. But eventually, as you go through a struggle, hopefully you can find the strength to acknowledge that there must be something bigger here. There must be a plan for me that's getting me to my destination. I may not want to go to that destination, but that's what's best for me. And therefore, I'm not going to tell Hashem what to do differently. Rather, I'm going to try to sit back in that seat and acknowledge that this is the turbulence getting me to my destination. Very good. I'm, I'm thinking just while we're talking about Amun Betachem, uh, everybody on this world should be working on Amun Betachem because that's one of the main focus why we're here. But some people are just forced. They're just put into the corner and there's no way out. They have to work on it. Now, for everybody, it's different. It could be a, a, a safer, a sheer, or whatever it is that they have to start actually learning and working on it, which, uh, you know, it's hard to know exactly what will work for everybody. And while they're going on the journey, while you're learning about them, it's, it's important to, you know, there are people out there who are angry and they might not want to say it. You know, they're angry at Hashem. And uh, they should have a place where they can openly discuss it and uh, become aware of those feelings because this is part of the journey. And, you know, we can't judge anybody, but to have that closeness to learn and to get close to Hashem, the only way to do it is start from wherever you are. And if you don't want to talk about Hashem, be aware of that. So it's, it's a journey. Yeah, beautiful. Let's jump into the next live question. You're on. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my question. So my question, I'm, it's actually divided in two. My question is first, how should you approach um, when there is someone that is childless and you're in a group of people, it's a very, it's a very common question that you ask, should you avoid talking about your children or should you approach the topic and continue as if it's normal? Like, I mean, me in my situation, I don't have kids yet. And when I'm with a group of people, I would not appreciate it if they avoid talking about their kids and about their nachas and about their cute jokes and stuff and clothing that they have to discuss about but I know this is a very sensitive topic. Like, should you brush away the topic of kids or should you still discuss it? That's the first part of the question. And if you could please answer, um, if you have, you watch somebody really struggling with infertility and seeing how the whole situation is really taking them over, 
and they're so like they're so into their problem and they're so depressed and sad about it and you try to like really um you try to take them out you try to just like distract them or whatever and they simply do not let themselves how can you help them wow thank you. okay thank you thank you for sharing so as far as the first question i would say that there there's a balance to how people have conversation unfortunately as we live in a time where we're so inundated with, with social media and so many other forms of communication, sometimes we lose the nuance of personal interaction. So the ideal answer to your first question, I believe is that people should try to be normal in conversation. So if you know that your friend is struggling with infertility, you don't have to make the conversation about your children. But if the natural direction of the conversation is headed that way, nobody wants to feel awkward when you awkwardly change the conversation because of your friend who's going through treatment. So it's, it's a very nuanced thing and not everyone has that level of sophistication in their conversation. But ideally, I think that it's best to try to have natural conversation. You, there's so many things to talk about beyond our children. So if you're able to have a conversation that doesn't bring that in, that's great. But of course, if it becomes the natural direction the conversations have headed, I feel I find that most of the time couples going through treatment don't want to feel like someone awkwardly changed the conversation for them. Right. Using your your fifth sense of, of you know brilliance to figure it out. Yeah, which which it's complicated. It's not an easy, right. it's not an easy thing to do. As far as your other question, I really don't have a, a perfect answer that, that fits. I think that every couple is gonna have their way of struggling. There are people I interact with who are 20 years into treatment and didn't have a child and they're upbeat. And I know couples who are three months into treatment and they're devastated. So it's so specific to each couple. The, the best thing is to try to make sure that they find the help they need. But very often, it's not our job as a friend to make that happen. And when we try to figure out what is best for someone else, we tend to overstep the boundaries of what's helpful. Right. So generally, right. that's the best what I thing felt. That's what I felt. I felt like giving advice is stepping over boundaries, but letting her be in her pothole is, is so not fair for her. Right. So, like, so there, it's very difficult. The ideal thing is to try to help them figure out what they need without feeling like you are the one dictating their life, which is not a simple thing. It's, it's usually safer from the perspective of, of your impact on them to not try to suggest that unless you feel like you really can make a difference. Got it. Thank you. So here's an interesting question. I have guilt, guilty feelings. That's me who has the issue and feel bad for my spouse who can have a normal life without my problems. Yeah, so that unfortunately is very common because it's almost always one person has an issue. So about 10% of couples going through infertility have unexplained infertility, which means there's no diagnosis that's found. But the other 90% or 85, 85 or so percent, there is some issue. And usually it's one spouse. There are genetic issues, which obviously that would become generally both spouses, but for the most part, it's one spouse. And it's very common that that spouse is going to feel like they are causing this issue. So I think it's, it's again, going back to that previous idea we shared is that a couple has to recognize that 
this is an opportunity for us. So instead of focusing on what it is that's causing the issue, is to acknowledge what are we dealing with now. So whenever a person has any marital issue, I happen to, I have a, a congregation here, I have a shul here in Brookhaven, I deal with couples with marital issues independent of treatment. And I always try to tell them that when you're trying to figure out how to move forward with any issue, it's important to focus on things that are gonna actually matter going forward. It doesn't matter what happened six months ago unless reviewing that can help you figure out something better for the future. But just bringing up things from the past without a purpose tends to make things worse with no benefit. So it's important for someone to realize that this is the reality. We have to go through this treatment and we have to recognize for the future, how do we wanna go through this? What is a way that you like to cope? What is a way that I like to cope? And try to forget necessarily the piece of what's causing it, but rather what's going on now. The other thing to keep in mind is obviously the Amuna piece is that if a person recognizes that this is the journey for them, so then guilt is never really an emotion that's a healthy emotion because guilt means that this is my fault and I should have done something about it. But if you realize that this is specifically what's supposed to be, this is how you're getting to your destination, so you wouldn't feel guilty. Pain, of course, a lot of pain. But guilt is the association of that I feel bad that I brought this upon you. But when you recognize that Hashem is putting you in a specific process to get to a specific destination, then hopefully you can appreciate that the specifics of it being your issue versus your spouse's issue don't matter so much as it's obvious Hashem said this process is meant for the two of you. Okay, Mordek, let's get into this question. Interesting question that came in. Um, I'm having issues with our doctors. I feel like my doctor is not willing to do things that I've heard and feel that might help. Should we trust our doctor, like blindly? Or is there anything I could do to try some different treatments? Like you're in a situation, I mean, I feel this in general, forget about infertility, like people go to a doctor, whether they're sick, you know, whatever, whatever the doctor says, like there's no, you know what I mean? It's like you give like almost like, like blindly, like right, anything else, you ask 17 questions. When it comes to these things, like, oh, the doctor said, that's it. So, yeah, and I love this question. So I'll share with you an, an incredible story that happened with us. When I sat down with the doctor after our first um, failed transfer, so as I mentioned earlier, I asked him, I said, why do you think the embryo didn't take? Why didn't we become pregnant? And he said, no, it's fine. You're young. You can just do everything the same. I'm sure you'll become pregnant soon. And at that point, I had already become very well networked within the community of infertility. So I reached out to a different doctor. And I said to this doctor, as a doctor I respect very highly, I said, can I send you our medical file, which was about 100 pages long, and can you review it and tell me if you have any thoughts about why you think this transfer didn't work? He said, sure. He read the whole file. He got back to me two or three days later. He said, everything looks fine except for one thing. There's one specific bacteria. It's called endometritis, not to be confused with endometriosis, it's a specific bacteria called metritis, and it doesn't present with any symptoms, but it has been shown to impact fertility. And I went through your file and your wife was never treated for that. I think you should ask your doctor to treat for that. So I call up our doctor and I said, hey, doctor, I want to know, uh, can you prescribe an antibiotic for endometritis? And he went nuts. 
Did you ask another doctor? You don't trust me. How am I supposed to help you if you don't trust me? I tell you, you don't need this. Why are you asking other opinions? I've been doing this for 50 years, a whole thing, and he hangs up. So here I am wondering what I'm supposed to do. And what I did was I called back this other doctor and I said to him, can you do me a really big favor? Can you prescribe this medication? And he prescribed the medication. My wife took the medication and a few weeks later we were pregnant. So there's no way to know. It's not a bacteria that, can, that you can test for. So there's no way to know, but it showed us that we need to advocate for ourselves because if you don't advocate for yourself, you're only gonna get one opinion. And I'm constantly, probably the most significant thing I do for couples when they call me is get them an unbiased second opinion. So someone calls me up, hey, we're going, we're having a recurrent miscarriage loss and we're having this issue. The doctor said to try this is, what do you think? And I'll reach out to a doctor and I'll say, hey, there's a couple going through this and this other doctor that I'm reaching out to is no bias. They don't know the patient. They don't ever, they don't live in the same place. And they might share, hey, what about trying this? And I'll share that back with the patient and their doctor had never thought of that. So yes, I strongly believe get as many medical opinions. That does not mean Google for help. That means get medical opinions, find real medical guidance because very often the same medical issue can be treated in multiple ways. And it's important to be aware that your doctor's way may be one way but there may be other ways. And for your specific case, a different way may actually provide better results. Okay, just one question before somebody was just texting me, just it's a very general question. Like a lot of times there's a lot of Jewish organizations that are, you know, without mentioning names that are very familiar with, you know, a lot of these things. Why, why not just reach out to them, let them guide you step by step? hundred percent. You should definitely. There's no reason not to. The, the interesting thing is I, I tell people that I, I find it shocking to say it myself. We went through, through treatment for about three and a half years and we never once called Bone Olam and we called a time once, maybe twice. And it sounds crazy because what do you mean? You were going through it. When I was going through it, I didn't know any of the things I know now. So I was the same as anyone. No idea what was happening, following doctors blindly, walking into rooms, getting bills that I had no idea where I was paying them from and what it was for even. And yet when you're going through a struggle that is so personal and so overwhelming, it's not so simple always to pick up a phone, call, get transferred, figure out who you're supposed to talk to. And very often because of that, we suffer. And I don't say it because it's the right idea. We, I wish that we would have picked up our head for a little bit of air during that struggle and called these organizations. They're meant to help you. And a person 100% should. It just happens to be, it's not always so simple. So sometimes as the outsider, you see your friend, oh, you're crazy, I'm not gonna help you. You don't even help yourself. It's important to recognize where they're coming from. Sometimes you are so little oxygen because you're so overwhelmed, you can't even come up to bring yourself to make that call so that you're, and we all know organizations are wonderful, but at the end of the day, you call one person, you get transferred to the other person. And yes, you may end up getting the most incredible advice and insight, but sometimes when you're dealing with a struggle, it's just so difficult to get up the courage together to make that call. But you would you would encourage somebody to do it. Hundred percent. Beautiful. Um, next question: I have a lot of friends and people in my life. Is it okay to share with others my challenges with these people, even though they are not going through this? Um, they're not going through the situation. Excellent question. Yeah, this was actually on the, on the poll. This is one of the, one of the points I mentioned that we were going to get back to. 
there was a, a pretty famous study done by a man named James Pennebacher, who was a social scientist. And he did a study on the impact of a person sharing their struggle with someone else, how that impacts their actual struggle. And the results were overwhelmingly confirmed that when you share what you're going through with someone else, regardless of who they are, it could be a cashier in the store, it could be your best friend, parent, neighbor, gardener, anybody, when you verbalize and articulate what you're struggling with, it has a profound impact on making your struggle more manageable. And the reasoning is very obvious because until we verbalize it, we, it makes it almost like we're not really part of the fabric of society. I have like this secret thing holding me back. But as soon as we are willing to articulate and verbalize it, it almost makes it like we're part of the fabric of society again. You talk about your issue, I talk about my issue, and it's something that I can talk about. Once you're willing to talk about something, it allows your interactions to be so much more positive and it helps you process what you're going through. So yes, 100%, it, it is encouraged to share that. That being said, you have to know your audience. If you know that the person you're gonna share it with is someone who is not very compassionate and is likely gonna say something that's gonna upset you, that's probably not the person to share it. You have to know who to share it with, but sharing 100% is very powerful in the process of you going through your own challenge. Are you putting them in the spot? Sharing with people, they don't know what to answer, what to say. Sometimes, but the reality is that almost every conversation we have, we do that. When, when you ask some, any, someone anything, you, you're in that same boat. We, we're constantly asking questions of curiosity, right? How, oh, that's a new car. Oh, how much was it? Oh, your house, how much? We're constantly asking things. So yes, are you putting them in the spot? Possibly. Are they gonna say something that's painful? I would say there's a, at least a 25% chance, but at the same time, it's something that can help you and hopefully help them too. One of the, the biggest pushes for me to write this book, when I originally wrote it, I had specifically meant it for someone going through infertility as a guidebook for that individual or that couple to understand what they were going through. Because I had read all the books on the topic, both in the from world and the secular world, and there really was no book that gave me a sense of understanding what my life was going to look like. It was all very much about what the medical details were, but what was my life going to look like? What did it look like being in a relationship with, a, with your wife and dealing with your parents? And so that's really why I wrote the book. But when I was getting Hasamas, I, I still remember. So Shmuel First, who is a, a Rav in Chicago, a post that I'm very close with, when he wrote the Hasama, his Hasama was very unique in that it said that everybody should read this book. And when I talked to him about that, because I asked him, I said, what is the benefit of someone reading this book if they're not going through it? If someone has 12 kids, can I know, and what do they need to read this book for? And he explained, which makes a lot of sense, and now I see it on a, on a daily basis, that when you don't understand what someone's going through, it's very hard to support them. But when you have the information and you understand what they're going through, it's so much easier to be able to be supportive. So yes, when someone says to you, I'm going through treatment, it's so difficult. Yes, that does mean the other person may be a little uncomfortable, but even subconsciously, once a person understands what someone's going through, they're inherently more compassionate. And sometimes the best answer is, I don't have anything to say. I'm so sorry, that must be so difficult. 
Um, when I shared what we went through with Rabiyas with, um, McBurkos, who had one of the most powerful reactions, his reaction was, was basically he, he almost was crying. He didn't say anything. But seeing that someone in our lives who we respected and cared so much about, cared so much about us without any words even, was incredibly powerful for us to see. So sometimes it's not only the words, it's just the feelings. And, and very often, if you don't know what someone's going through, it's just impossible to feel for them because what are you feeling about? You feel bad that they're going through something that you don't know what it is. That's very different than reading a book, understanding what they're going through, and then saying, you know what? I can't even imagine what that's like. Somebody text this interesting question. Let's just bring it up. And then I want to jump with another one. We're going through infertility now. I just found out that my husband has an issue. We're in touch with people with the community in the infertility field. And they are suggesting all types of medical routes. Do you believe in natural healing, Chinese herbs, acupuncture, vitamins, when it comes to these types of stuff? Good question. It really depends on what the issue is. Meaning there are some issues that are, that are structural, for lack of a better term. And it doesn't matter what you do. There needs to be a structural. Hello. Yes. Hold on one second. Okay. Okay. Mark, continue. Should I continue? So there are some things that are structural, meaning if a, if a person has a varicocele, a severe one, which is something that blocks the ability for the Zara to get to where it has to get to. So I don't see any value in doing other types of medication when there's a specific process that removes the blockage so that it allows it to go through. There are some things where a man's numbers are not ideal, and then sometimes it could help. Sometimes the man's numbers are impossibly low. So it very much depends case by case. There are times where that can help, but usually if you're needing treatment, it's gonna be some type of medical treatment will be needed. And then those other things may boost the results. So yes, acupuncture is known to be something that boosts results, but very often that's in addition to going through some type of treatment, which will hopefully fix the issue that you see. Okay, there's another question that came in very similar to the mathematics, but it's a little different twist. I'm very close. I have a very close friend with many kids in Baruch Hashem. I feel comfortable sharing with, I, I feel comfortable, uncomfortable sharing with her because I don't think she will understand. However, I would love to be able to ask her about it. Any idea? So basically she has a friend. She has no shaykh to this parasha, but she, she's just close to her. She like can't break the ice to speak to her. Yeah, maybe she should read the book. <laughs> what the, the real answer is that there, the ideal is for this other person to start understanding a little bit about what you're going through. Because yes, if they don't understand anything, then when you try to break the ice, it's going to be very uncomfortable because you're going to be speaking about a trauma at a level of very high art. And they may only look at it as something very, very minimal. And that gap is not going to be bridgeable. So the ideal is to find some way to have them become more knowledgeable um, I'm, I happen to be a big fan of being direct with people, but it doesn't work for everyone. So I would recommend if you're comfortable saying, I'm going through a difficult process. I don't know if it's something you can understand. Would you be open to learning more about it? I would love to be able to include you in my life in this struggle. And I think that if you had more information, it would, it would bridge the gap a little bit between where we're coming from so that you might be able to really help me. Would you consider that? But again, it, it, so much of, of interpersonal questions are case specific. And and just to follow up, um, how could they, how, if somebody wants to help, how can they help their sister, their family member, somebody who's going through these uh, 
struggles? Yeah, so that's a very important question because almost everyone who's going through it has a sibling or a friend who wants to be there for them. And the amazing thing is we, we all see this in all areas of struggle. Generally, the most painful comments for us come from the people we're closest to in any area we're dealing with. And the irony is that we all know that, of course, those people have no malicious intent. They, want, they care about us more than anyone. But very often, people don't know how to be supportive because we don't understand things. So like I mentioned before, so a lot of it has to do with learning about what your friend or sibling is going through in any challenge, any health concern, financial concern. You have the same question. Someone who's very wealthy has a friend who, who's suffering financially, they can't, they can't understand. What do you mean? Just, just pay for that thing that you said you need. I don't have, what do you mean you don't have the money? So take it out of your, I don't have savings. There's, it's just so uncomfortable because you are speaking two different languages. And when someone in that boat learns more about the fact that there's a reality, not everyone has the ability to pay for what they need. So sometimes it's a question of learning what the person is going through. And sometimes it's a question of understanding what helps that person. The safest thing to do, I always tell people, is to tell someone, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Is there anything I can do to help? Because if you allow the other person to tell you what is helpful, then you don't have to risk choosing something that you thought would be helpful that in reality is more painful for them than nothing. Okay, this is uh, going in a different route a little bit. Um, as parents, asking about kids, what's going on? We see our daughter married for over four years and we wanna help them. We'll find them a doctor, pay expenses, do whatever we could do to help. I don't wanna also push my boundaries. So when a parent sees that they're in, their child is in this situation where it's pretty clear, but the children are not turning to them. What's a parent's role? How do you deal with that? I feel like this might've been a question for the parenting expert last week. The, um, the, the truth is there's, again, so much nuance because so much depends on the, the current relationship. If they have a very close relationship, then yes, I think it's definitely worth sharing what you're able to offer because as children going through something, it's very tough to know. If I ask my parents for money, is this something they'd be comfortable with? If I ask them for help, is this something they're gonna be able to do or are they gonna panic? And when a parent shares what they are able and willing and interested in doing, it very often can alleviate a lot of that pressure of, should we ask, how should we ask? But by the same token, you have to know the relationship you have. Some parents and children have a naturally rocky relationship that the child's gonna respond no matter what the parent says, I don't need your help, I'm an independent, I'm an adult, go away. So, so much of it has to do with the specifics, but if a parent feels comfortable enough saying something, then I think that it is beneficial for the children to know because again, there's just so many stresses for the person and the couple going through the treatment that knowing what they can or can't ask of a parent is very helpful often. Unbelievable. Okay. Okay, let's jump to the next one over here. Um, I'm married for three years and having IVF issues. The opposite. Should I ask my parents? I might need the support. The opposite question. <laughs> so I've never been on the parent side. Let's rephrase the question a little bit. The question let's rephrase is a person's going through it. The parents didn't say anything, whether because they didn't want to or they don't want to get involved. 
should a person bring in their parents in a situation when they're going through something like that? Yeah, so I, I think that it's, again, a very similar answer, which is that ideally, yes, but you have to know the relationship. If you think that the cost of their help is going to be more significant than the benefit of their help, then it's probably not worth bringing them into the picture. If you feel like getting from them will be more helpful, then you should. And every couple is going to be different. And not only that, what makes it more complicated is each member of the couple may have a different opinion. So the child of the parents who they're about to ask for money may not want to ask. And the other one may want to ask their in-laws or vice versa. But I think that if you're able to create an environment where you're both comfortable asking for assistance, I think that generally parents and siblings and family members are looking for ways to help. And very often they just don't know if it's okay for them to broach the subject. So very often if you are willing to ask them, it can help sort of speed along the process and the help that you may receive. Somebody asked an interesting question. I was going to repeat it. Someone just texted it now. They have a child that's married and they know they have shallow bias issues. So how do they, they want to ask them because they're also married and not having kids. They don't know if it's shallow bias issues or infertility issues. I don't even know if she'd even, you know. Oh, I don't know. This, this might be above my pay grade. I think that that, that that might need professional help because shalom bias issues could, could range from they're, they're not always happy to there's, there's massive issues in the relationship. So I think that that's going to need to go to their, the personal Rav who, who knows them well or personal therapy who knows them well. Yeah, that's true. But I just think that to, to answer a question for a specific couple without knowing any information about them, I, I mean, I would be like throwing a, a dart at a dart, but I really don't, don't know without knowing more information. Okay, this is a question that when we had, once had a share, we asked, it's a great question and it's negates so many people, but I mean, we touched on it, but let's ask it a little stronger. Basically, people live in development they live in between places where in our religious circle, people have so many kids and you know, they go to the parks and 90% of the conversation is somewhat revolved about where they went shopping or where they bought this and this outfit. So basically, the person lives in development, and you know they go to you know all the mothers in the park talking about it, and then you have that one neighbor that's having their infertility issue. How do you, how do you like, you know, they're walking into the park, and there's this woman walks in, like, are you supposed to change the conversation? Are you supposed to continue the conversation? You know, and also like, how, now I'm going to take it to the next step. They didn't write it, but I'm going to take it to the next step. How does a person deal with that? At the end of the day, you're you're living in a place where this is the you know this is the culture. Yeah, so for the first question, I think that that's a simpler question. That was really, um, I think we addressed it earlier. It's, it's really a question of nuance, that it's, you, you don't want to have all conversations around a person who's having trouble with children focused on children. But by the same token, anytime you make a conversation awkward, it's so painful for the person. And they know they're not dumb. They walk in and suddenly you all are silenced when you've all been, been talking, they realize that you were just talking about kids and you stopped it awkwardly for them, which just makes it so much more blatant that they are different than you. So usually a person has to figure out a way to continue natural conversation. Again, there's so many things to talk about beyond our children. At the same time, if that's the natural direction to make an, an awkward, abrupt change to conversation, is often so, so painful for someone going through it that they feel like, oh, you don't even feel like I can be part of your conversation. As far as the, the other point, 
it's for me personally, that was probably the hardest part of going through infertility treatments was the fact that in the from world, Baruch Hashem, it's everywhere. In, there's no other society, I don't, I don't think, to my knowledge, where you are surrounded by your friends constantly. There's no other society where you go to shul three times a day and on Shabbos, your kids are all there and you're surrounded by people and your friends and children. It's something that is constant. And it's important to acknowledge how difficult it is and figure out what works for you. So there's, there was a piece of advice I read years ago, which I think is important to, to know. And that is that when, when couples go to like a simcha, let's say a couple is married, no children, and they're going to a family simcha, that they should prepare in advance some type of code, so to say, that means I need to leave. This is too much for me. So like you go over to, to your spouse at, at a bar mitzvah and you say, um, I think there's a leak in the kitchen. We have to leave. And then you both leave because the reality is there's the only real way to not care, which is, is beyond difficult to get to that level, is to have complete amuna and just recognize this is for me. But that is so difficult when there are other people's children staring at you in the face. So what a person has to do is they have to try to figure out that balance where they can try to still be part of the community so they don't feel completely isolated, but have some plan so that they can feel comfortable and know I'm not stuck. That if something comes up, I know I can always look at my phone. Oh my gosh, you know what? The, the kitchen's leaking. Or, oh, I, I just forgot that I have to be back. Because when you have that plan, it, it alleviates a lot of that stress of feeling like I'm stuck and I'm now going to have to deal with this for the next X amount of time. Okay, if you don't mind, let's get into some practical ideas. What's something practical that, that couples can do to help them while they're on this journey, while they're dealing with these challenges? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's important. I, I think that leaning on community resources is something that's extremely important for this because there's many organizations that are putting on events specifically for people going through this. So whether it's Bone Olam, A-Time, and they're doing these, these events specifically meant for a couple going through that type of treatment or that type of treatment or that thing and that struggle. And it's important to realize the, the From World has really done an incredible job of creating organizations that are available for so many different things. Um, I have friends, independent of, of infertility, I have friends who have struggles that are so specific a child with a, with a health condition that's a one in a in 150 million, where there's maybe two other people in the, in the country dealing with it, and yet the from world has come so incredibly far that they were able to connect this friend. This friend of mine was able to get connected with an organization that was able to help them with what they were going through, which is literally a one in like, I don't know, maybe a hundred million odds, and it's important to to find that and try to figure that out. So find the organizations. Rabbanim, in my personal life, the biggest source of chizik was leaning on my Rabbanim. The Rebbeim in my life, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz, Rabbi Berkowitz, who was a Rabbi of mine in Neri Yisrael, Rabbi Shmuel first. Leaning on the, the Gedolim, the Rabbanim in our lives who have so much life experience just because of the amount of people that they deal with, the amount of learning that they have which guides their decisions, for my wife and I, we found their guidance to be so, so on point and so helpful. And then, of course, there's, there's things you can do just to try to figure out what's best for you. Some couples 
like taking a break. At one point, we considered stopping treatment, taking a break. We decided with the guidance of Rebutzler-Berkowitz not to. But every couple has to figure out, for some couples, taking a vacation is an incredibly helpful thing. For some couples, it's not because they start feeling like, oh my gosh, why do we do this? We, we should really be continuing helping bring a family together. So a couple has to figure out, but also I think leaning on, on community resources and Rabbanim is, is such an underappreciated aspect that really, really helps people get through challenges. Okay, somebody texted a very tough question. I'm going to throw it at you. Good luck. How do, you <laughs> deal, how do we deal with a couple? How do we deal with a childless couple who are past the childbearing years? Yeah, I don't have an answer, but I will tell you this. When, when um, I wrote the book, so this was a, a big concern because the reality is that although the, the journey is somewhat similar in the process, but every person goes through it differently. There are people who go through it for 20 years with no children. There are people who never get married. What about someone who's single who never got married? They also struggle with the fact that they had dreams of having children and they don't. And there are people who after one month are complaining. So I discussed this with Rabbi Shmuel first. This came up actually multiple times. And all I can share is that Rabbi first told me that he hopes to help write a chapter for the next edition, which will be for these people. So I don't have any answer to that question. That the, the pain that someone at that point is going through is so unimaginable that I don't have any specific words that can be encouraging. But that being said, I do hope that with the guidance of some of the gedolim in the country, I do hope that one day there will be some form of, of written encouragement that can hopefully provide help for people going through that because it's really an unimaginable amount of pain. Somebody just texted a question. It's a great, great question. So here we go. Hi, we've been going through infertility and have two children, Bar Hashem. We have not processed all the pain and it was so crazy during those years and we were just trying to cope. How can we now process years later all the craziness we went through? It's only hitting us now as we are more in touch with our emotions. So basically, I mean, again, it's- Love it. Right, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something amazing. I went to speak in Baltimore where I grew up about, um, I guess about two months ago. And I sent the flyer to my mother, who I think is watching tonight. I sent the flyer to my mother and I said, can you share this with some of your friends? And she shared it with some of her friends. And one of her friends, keep in mind, my mother is, is a grandmother of Arkham several times over, although she's very young, obviously she's listening. And my mother got a response, one of her friends who has several children. One of her friends wrote back that I still haven't finished processing the pain we went through. So if he ever comes to speak about a different topic, I will 100% be there, but I can't be there for this. And the point is that it's, it's a reality. This question is, I love this question because it acknowledges that it's, it's true. People don't necessarily process what they're going through. And it's crucial that we do because otherwise you find yourself 20, 30, 40, 50 years later still trying to figure out what you're going through. And I think the answer is that you have to be willing to confront it again, to reopen the conversation, discuss with your spouse the things that were so difficult. And hopefully the, the biggest benefit of life experience of time elapsing is that sometimes it gives us the perspective that we can figure out where things fit into our life. So for example, in an isolated bubble, when we were struggling, and we're feeling stuck. Why is it that our siblings are having another kid and another kid and our friends are all, and we're stuck with 
one and we feel so stuck. And yet two years later, we suddenly have twins. And now we can say, you know what, this is incredible. We now can still hopefully have a family that's larger than one child, hopefully have many children. And yet we had all that time to build a community from scratch where we only had to balance one child. So in the moment, you can't look at it like that. It's too painful. But time elapsing often gives us a perspective that's much greater than the moments we were in. So sometimes I think it's important. Again, I, have, I don't have personal experience with this, but I think that the best way to process it years later is to reopen the conversation and hopefully have that perspective of what has happened in life to be able to process it in a healthy way. Sometimes the answer is though that it needs to be done with, with a mediator, with a professional. Okay, Luna, anybody wants to ask a live question again, you can get the free book, but in copyright, we're gonna be coming to the closing soon. So please text Usher Parnas um, on the screen over here. And we'll try to get to the last, you know, maybe one or two live questions left. And uh, Menachem. Yeah, I think before before we go to the last questions, talking about talking about um, processing the emotions while you're going through the struggles and treatments, and a part of it could be the coping mechanism how to how to be able to continue is you're not in touch with your emotions, and then and then automatically years later, if, after Barakashim things work out, it's it's. It's a process that many people have to go through, whichever struggle they go through. And this is a, a little bit taboo. The Barksham, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit, the awareness is coming out, but to understand emotions and to process them is not an easy uh, task and especially not to do by yourself, like you mentioned. And this is, the, this is the journey, you know, it could be years, the ups and the downs. And that's why many people are not, it's easier not to be aware of the emotions, just put it away if they can. So I just want to go to the last question and really for people who are going through this, this struggle and are having a hard time with Ashkafa questions on Hashem and really trying to figure out, I think it's also for elderly who haven't, hasn't got married or those who got married and don't have kids struggling and they don't see anything happening. What's the right way to look at it? How can they get chizik to be able to um, approach the right way? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a very important question. So I'll share the, the most powerful story that my wife and I found during our struggle. Now, from just to, to put it in perspective so we all appreciate the significance, when a person is going through a struggle like infertility, so many of us are aware that the first mitzvah in the Torah is to have children. And yet it's very difficult when we're going through that process and we can't. So does Hashem want us to have children or not? It's an incredibly conflicting perspective as far as what our muna is, what our thoughts are and how to process that. So the, the story that we heard that was the, probably the greatest story was a, a story that was, um, it happened in a development where they were developing a community and they put together these homes and all of the homes were these cookie cutter model homes where every single house was exactly the same. Every mailbox was the same. Every tree was the same. Everything exactly the same. They built this development a few hundred homes. And unfortunately, a few short months after that, Hurricane Sandy comes and completely destroys this development. 
and there are houses in pieces, cars everywhere, trees knocked down, and they send the city assessors to come go and look at the damage and determine what is needed to fix all the damage. And the city assessors come and they see this is complete chaos, everything's destroyed. But they notice something that stands out to them, that a few trees are still standing erect. And they say, how could this be? How could it be that everything's destroyed, homes are knocked over, trees are all felled, and there are a few trees that are still standing? So they pull up the architectural plans from the landscaping and they find an incredible thing. They find that when the sprinkler systems were designed, they were specifically meant to be at a certain distance in the trees. But a few trees, unfortunately, were misplaced and the positioning of the sprinkler to the trees was too far. And if you think about it for a minute, imagine you're that tree that the sprinkler doesn't reach and you're thinking, how can this be? Why am I stuck while everyone else, every other tree gets the water it needs, has everything easy. Why do I have this challenge? But you know what a tree does when it doesn't receive water from sprinklers? It spreads its roots deeper and deeper and deeper. It looks within and finds where it can strengthen itself. And when a hurricane comes, the other trees that never did that exercise, they never had to strengthen their roots, they get knocked right over. But the trees that went through that struggle, they develop their roots. And when the hurricane comes, they have the strength to stand up to it. And similarly in life, we are like that tree very often, that we get a struggle, we have a challenge in our life, and we think this is not fair. How can this be? Why does everyone else have it so easy and I'm stuck? But you know what we do then? Hopefully we have the strength to look at ourselves and say, where can I strengthen my amuna? Where can I strengthen my relationships? Where can I strengthen who I am? And hopefully what will then happen is when that next hurricane comes our way, when that next challenge comes, we'll be able to say, you know what? I can withstand this because I've already developed myself to have the strength to handle this. And that was something that my wife and I really, really found powerful in our own struggle to be able to try to view it as something that was giving us strength so that when we would continue to go through life and we all have challenges and we have more and more and more and more constantly, that hopefully we can find that the strength we get from the challenges we go through help us move through the challenges we continue to have. Beautiful, I'm sure. Really, really nice. Okay, we're gonna cover in one last live question and then we're gonna go to closing. You're on. Thank you. Um, what could someone going through this process do to help with the fear of what if children or have a small family? Uh, I'm so sorry, I didn't hear the question. I'll repeat it. She said, what does somebody do when they go through the process, when they have the fear, they might never have kids or just having a very small family? Uh-huh. I guess that's a... I'll meet her again. I'll meet her, I'll meet her. Am I supposed to do something? Yeah. You want to repeat the question? Let's see if we can get her clear. Yeah, uh, what could someone do, you know, going through this process to help with the fear of what if they'll have no children or a small family? Oh, okay, yeah. So the, the amazing thing is that probably the single most powerful emotion that we feel with any challenge is uncertainty. Meaning when someone goes through a process, the actual pain of the process is very rarely the most significant issue but it's the fact that we don't know what will happen. So I don't know, will I ever be a parent? Will I ever be married? Will I ever 
all this uncertainty. And sometimes it's a question of, of emuna, of recognizing that there is a mission. So very often we don't necessarily want the mission that was given to us or appreciate the mission that was given to us. So if you would have asked me, for example, if you would have told me 10 years ago, it's possible one of the things you're gonna accomplish in this world is help people who are struggling with infertility. I would have said, I don't want that. Why would I want that mission? Because it's not necessarily something we want, but Hashem guides us on a path that is the path that's best for us. So even if we don't necessarily want it, it's important to try to come to terms like that person in the plane from the earlier story to recognize that this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. And does it mean that I may not have as many children as I wanted to? Yes. Is that something I'm happy about? No, of course not. Does it mean though that it's something that's helping me get on the path of what's best for me? Of course, and I know that because that's the only thing Hashem would do for me. So a lot of it has to do with emuna and appreciating that we all have a mission that is specific for us and we have the skill set and what we need for that specific mission. Does that make sense? Yeah, they made up, yeah. That was beautiful, Rabbi Shapiro. Okay, a lot of people are texting me about contact information. When I get a hold of you, we're gonna get to there. Just wait one second. Shreel, beautiful, powerful, powerful stuff tonight. Okay, let's go to closing. First of all, I'd like to thank Yosef Shapiro for coming on tonight and being Chazik. And obviously, this is a very sensitive topic, but uh, tremendous, tremendous tonight. And and just really talking about it, being open, being vulnerable, sharing your personal you know story, putting it straight out there. No, uh, you know, a lot of times when a speaker comes on, especially as a story, you know, I have to ask them. You know, you're comfortable, you're not comfortable, you know, but uh, it's really appreciate that you're able to share and be so wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and again, um, tonight's share is for my father-in-law and for my grand, my wife's grandmother, grandmother, again, anybody who wants to join Rabbi Schaefer's, uh, he did already a three-part marriage series. He did already the past Wednesday. He's going to have this Wednesday, next Wednesday, go to tour anytime with the shrews.com to join that. And um, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp, um, every Sunday I can send you a flyer. WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 or go to coachmanachem.com to sign up for the weekly flyers. Okay, if anybody again is here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, we have the share. We have different abundant, different therapists. We find rabbis from, from Georgia, from uh, all, all over the world. We've had somebody, we have somebody coming on from... Uh, we had somebody from Panama. We 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 covered the entire universe, so uh, it's gonna be unbelievable. Next Sunday night, July tenth, will be a surprise share. Mr. Shem will be unbelievable. I don't I don't want to announce it because a few things were not confirmed, but uh, so it's a little bit of a surprise for me too, Mr. Shem. I'm looking forward, and then we'll be sure to the Thomas. We'll have uh, Shirley Freed, Chai Lifeline, uh, July twenty fourth, followed by Robert Breitowitz, Marisameh, July thirty first. And then, as you heard so many times, Rabbi Yosef Shapiro mentioning his Rebbe, Rabbi Sebarkowitz, which everybody says will be impossible for me to get him, but Mr. Shem, <laughs> Yosef is going to pull off the miracle and help make it happen. So we really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Rabbi Shapiro, for making that happen. with them. And um, thank you again. Um, again, everything's recorded. Mr. Shem will be on MenachemBurnfeld.com on his website. We'll be on YouTube later tonight. If anybody has any questions for Menachem or for anything, please email coachmenachemgmail.com. Anybody ask the live question, email, so we can send you the free book. And tonight's share is share 108, right? 
And as we said, right, Chazde Hashem is the Gematria, Hashem, that we should focus on that. Um, it will be recorded. And anybody wants to listen on the phone lines, our phone number is 848-777-GROW. That's G-R-O-W, 848-777-GROW. Um, if anybody would like to be in contact with Rabbi Yosef Shapiro, because he's looking for a lot of clients, he charges $2,000 an hour. How much is it? How much you charge? I've, I've yet to charge. What rate should I charge for questions? Say three and a half. I charge about $3,000 an hour, so you could do something $2,500. Definitely announce my content information. Though people, I apologize. People have messaged me questions on this chat, and I cannot figure out how to respond directly to them. No, you're not going to respond to Shem, and they're going to call you, and they're going to email you. Rabbi Shapiro. Yeah, so just make sure everyone has my information, please. Yes. So Rabbi Shapiro's email address is R. Yosef Shapiro. I guess R stands for Rabbi Yosef Shapiro at gmail.com. And his phone number is, you ready for this? 678-693-0365. 678-693-0365. I would advise you first email him and wait for him to respond. And next time we'll have a lot of emails, so give him time. R. Yosef Shapiro at gmail.com. And again, I want to thank all our advertising sponsors, um, the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood for promoting us, and Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Chayla Kafoshul, some of JCN. And I'm just going to end up saying, Rabbi Shapiro, thank you again for coming on and tackling such a beautiful topic and for being such an amazing person and giving me chizik. And um, we'll go to Coach Menachem, follow Rabbi Shapiro for, for the final pitch. Coach Menachem. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi Shapiro. And like we heard, yes, vulnerable. And uh, it is a sensitive topic with a lot of emotions. Not easy. And uh, I was just thinking, we live, you know, by the from community, especially. We live uh, together and things, we do pretty much things together, you know, the kids, and then we get older and Shaduchim, and then uh, Yeshiva married at Israel, Lakewood, or who knows what, wherever you are. But it's pretty much, you know, in the community that you're in, we try to, you know, not to stand out. And when it does come some challenge where, where you're different, where things are not working out the way, you know, you're looking into the book, in the manual book, and it just doesn't work. It's supposed, it's supposed to have kids, things are supposed to be easy, and it's just not working out, or any challenge a person is going through. That's where they hit a, like a brick wall, and they try to figure out where or what do I do who am I? How am I supposed to work on this? And it's hard to look around and find the guidance. It's harder. And again, there is guidance like we heard, and it is important to look out. But what happens is we hit that wall and our life becomes very much focused around that challenge. And it could be very hard because it's hard to see the other, other things going on. Uh, in our life to, you know, to pick up on those things, even though there's one aspect that's not working out, but that doesn't mean everything is falling apart. But what happens is we focus on that one thing and then, you know, go to tell them that you have other positives to look at wouldn't be the right thing. But it is a process and it's hard. Yes, sometimes you don't see the other positives in life. You only see that that focus and it takes time to learn you know while you're on the journey what what should you do like we heard tonight different things that you could do and what's 
also very important, the self-care while you're on that journey. To understand what do I need while I'm here. It could be small things just to give you that cushion that should be able to continue because it could be a very, very hard challenge, whatever it is. And the last thing I want to add is, or two things. Number one, one capital tell them every day. Just daven because we're here together with Hashem. And the other thing is to have a positive outlook, which also could be hard because we don't want to be disappointed. So some people say, why are you telling me to have a positive outlook? I might not get there. But it does make a difference of where you are today, where I am now. If I can see the sunshine a little bit and help me continue to get through this day and one day at a time to get through this challenge. And in Hashem, we should hear a lot of Yeshuas and there should be a lot of Chazdei Hashem and everybody in their situation, Hashem should help them in Hashem. So thank you very much again. Yosef Shapiro, please knock us out of the park. We're ready. Thank you. Um, I just want to add one point. Um, Ravasher mentioned that people can email me first. I'm totally fine people calling. I know that when we were going through treatment, we didn't want to wait an extra minute or two if we were able to find something to cling on to for hope. And I would love to try to use the struggle we went through to help others. So everyone can feel free to text, call. You don't have to first let me know whatever is most beneficial for you. I hope I can help. I want to conclude with a story. There's a story about the Tribuna Rav that the Tribuna Rav was once walking and his watch fell off. His watch falls on the floor and it stops working. So he takes the watch and he goes to the watchmaker. He gets to the watchmaker, the watchmaker takes it to the back for 15, 20 minutes and he comes back and he says, okay, your watch is fixed. So the Tribuna Rav says, what was wrong with it? He says, the battery died. He says, the battery died? I don't understand. What does that have to do with it falling? If you told me that a piece fell off or something like that, okay, but if the battery was going to die, it should have died. What does that have to do with falling to the floor? And the watchmaker said, let me explain to you how a battery works. The way the battery works is that it goes to a very low level and then it's made to preserve itself. So it's very stagnant and it can last for a really, really long time at that incredibly low level. But when it hits a snag, when it gets jolted and it has to now restart, now it needs more juice and it doesn't have enough juice to do that. And the Tribuna Rav said, you know what? That's exactly how so many members of Kali Yisrael are. That we go through life and our emunah, our connection with Hashem is stagnant at this low level. We have enough. Someone asks us, of course we believe in Hashem, of course. But when we have a challenge, when there's that jolt, we don't have enough juice, enough amunit to get us back up again. And therefore, he said, it's so important to take the time to make sure that we have that amunit, to not let it remain at that stagnant level. And I still remember a, a few years ago, I do a trip every year to Artisral with a, a group of secular dads. It's a Kirov trip. We hope to inspire them. And every year we have a different speaker speak to them one of the nights. And one of the speakers got up and spoke about challenge. And this person next to me on the bus the next day says, hey, I listened to that talk. And a lot of his talk was like, if you're going through challenge, then you need God and you need to think that there's a plan. So he turns to me, this, this non-from dad, he says, what do I do if I don't believe in God? And I thought for a minute and I turned to him and I said, you know what? I really don't know. 
Because the truth is that without Amuna, we don't think about it enough. Without Amuna, how can you get through a struggle? The struggles we have are, are so painful. Everyone's struggle is an amazing thing. One of the most amazing things about being a rabbi is seeing the people within your audience have the same level of pain from their struggle. And you can tell like that person's struggle is such a joke compared to what that person's dealing with. But you see that even the person dealing with the struggle that is so much less significant objectively than the other person, for them, it's such a real struggle. And it's so important, if I can add one conclusion, it would be to try to figure out where you can get more amuna, where you can try to appreciate that Hashem fills in and takes care of everything you need. And I'll just conclude with one more idea. When I sent the, the book to Shmuel first for his askama, so one of the chapters in the book talks about Sugulis. And he went through the chapter and was fine with it, but he said that you have to add one thing. At the end of the chapter of Sugulis, you have to mention that the greatest Sugula is to daven to Hashem, to appreciate that Hashem is part of the struggle and that Hashem is the one who decides what the Yeshua is, how the Yeshua comes. So if I could leave one take-home message, it would be that, of course, the struggles we have are so painful. But if we can try to find a Muna, try to appreciate that we're like the person in the back of that plane, like we mentioned earlier, and Hashem is the pilot who knows that there might be turbulence to get to our destination, then Amir Hashem, that will help us find the strength we need to go through that challenge. And instead of getting knocked down by it, use it like that tree we discussed to strengthen ourselves so that we can go through life a stronger person. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Again, just I had to mention, anybody wants to buy his book in it, in it, um, you can buy it on Felham.com. Yeah, I think that's the easiest way. Posted it on, on the chat. I'm going to email out the link where to buy it. Um, and Rabbi Yosef Shapiro, thanks so much for coming. We'll see everybody here next Sunday night, July 10th. With, we don't know yet, we'll find out next week. Surprise. And thank you, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you, Coach Menachem and Rabashra. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.